It's longer time. Yay! Lager Time, Poems, Stories and Thoughts By me, Paul Cree Ross Greetings, bonjour, what's happening? Welcome to Lager Time This here, the first episode of 2024. I hope your festive period shenanigans were all good. Lager consumed and laughs had. Mine was alright. Despite having this naughty cough at the back end of November and thinking my immune system would be fully tooled up for Christmas. Alas, I got struck down again. Spent the 28th in bed sweating and shivering eating dry toast with the accompanying cough even worse than the one before, which I still have the tail end of. No news to you, I'm sure. Everyone seems to be going down with something. Out of curiosity, yesterday the thought occurred to me that I don't know how long I've been doing this here blog podcast thing. Apparently October 2021 was when I started Didn't think it was that long ago. But there's been 60-something episodes. I went back and listened to the first episode again. I'm pleased to have noted the progress, at least in terms of the production of this whole thing. It's been a ride, mate. On that note, as previously mentioned... I'm trying to crack the voiceover recording business, so I've been skilling up for a while now and making amendments to my little studio and how I do things. I've now managed to construct a very basic vocal booth using PVC poles and acoustic curtains. In true me style, like with the panels, I made it probably a lot more difficult than it needed to be. After building and putting up the acoustic panels last year, With this new booth, I feel like I could build a house. Like one of those American folk tales of some granddad who built this house with his bare hands. Maybe not. This week, I had a little feature and interview come out in Scene magazine talking about words, rap, spoken word and all of that. There'll be a link somewhere to that. So on to the main course, Marcus Aurelius and his tasty little book of meditations. I tried to explain what I'm doing with this in the previous episode before Christmas. So I looked at a particular quote from book one for this, went away and wrote a thing entitled On the Sport of Football Support. Now, upon listening back, I realised there was an error in it. The infamous playoff riot against Birmingham was in 2002. How could I forget it? I hope you enjoy this episode and the following ones. I'm enjoying writing them. Keep it larger than life in 2024. Peas and taters. Paul.
from my tutor not to become green or blue supporter at the races or side with the lights or heavies in the amphitheatre to tolerate pain and feel few needs to work with my own hands and mind my own business to be deaf to malicious gossip. Book 1 Passage 5 For this, I'm going to focus on the line not to become green or blue supporter of the races, which to me sounds like avoiding tribalism or in-group preference, both of which are terms which get thrown about a lot these days, but I definitely feel there's something valid in it. There's a number of paths I could have gone down with this, especially in the current situation we're in, politically and socially. Certainly, Politically speaking, I must have taken Marcus's advice a few years back without even knowing it and made myself politically homeless. But that's pretty easy to do when you look at our two main parties here in the UK, not really fit for purpose, in my opinion. However, I'm going to do the opposite of what I think that quote means and talk a bit about my love and support of Millwall FC and my default dislike of their South London neighbours, Crystal Palace. Mugs. So, like that sort of football chant we used to sing at lunchtime, for some reason, when we were at school. Here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go. Sometime in the early 90s, my brother and I started supporting Millwall. I don't know the exact reasons, but I'm pretty sure we both knew a couple of people at school that supported them. they just moved into their flash new ground in South Bermondsey. Dad worked in the Elephant and it was the second closest London team to where we lived in Hawley, right next to Gatwick. The closest team being Crystal Palace. More on them in a bit. Mugs. For the record, Crawley weren't a league side back then and Brighton, though technically equidistant, didn't count either, as probably due to the nature of all the Londoners that would have migrated to the area, everyone football-wise seemed to face north to London. Mill was accessible to us. We could go and watch a game relatively easily. It rarely ever difficult to obtain tickets and be home at a reasonable time. It was a 50-minute train ride to London Bridge from Hawley, quick bite at Burger King, which later, as I came of age, was swapped for pre-match pints in the Oast House in the station concourse, then the five-minute South Bermondsey squeeze on that dinky little South London service. The first ever game we went to, in the closing match of the 94-95 season, I bumped into a kid from school at New Cross Gate who was there with his uncle. That wouldn't have happened going to watch Liverpool or Man United or even Arsenal or Spurs. I was sold. But unlike my mates from school, my brother and I weren't from Millwall stock. We just picked them 
went along, really enjoyed it and have supported them ever since. Millwall has become a big part of our lives and lots of my own personal milestones can be framed around Millwall and how well the team were doing at the time. Going to matches also gave me a chance to hang out with my older brother who'd left home at 18 and made his own life in London. It was going to games and as soon as I was old enough, the beers before and after where I really got to know him and create a bond beyond the family formalities. Of course, we knew about the bad reputation we all had and all of that nonsense, who didn't. At times, being a young boy desperately trying to prove himself to someone, I'd enjoy hearing about the firms and bragging about it to my mates at school, even though I never got involved with any of that, and never would, mainly because I didn't have the balls for it, let alone any other moral reason. Once we started going regularly, we quickly realised that so many of the people there weren't anything like the reputation suggested. In fact, quite often the complete opposite. Good-natured, decent people, proud of their club, their connection to it and its local heritage. We quickly saw through the bollocks of not only the hyperbole and hysteria of that reputation, but also the very behaviour that generated the reputation in the first place. There's been a few occasions when we did see violence and I've certainly heard racist things shouted out before. I remember some idiot doing a Nazi salute once. But to be honest, they were few and far between. Most of the people we met just weren't like that at all. In nearly all of those horrible cases, they were isolated incidences and for me, that isolation only highlighted the nastiness and ugliness of it and crucially the sheer stupidity and hypocrisy. On a side note, I've often thought over the years that when there has been an incident at Mill, which has been deserving of the wider condemnation, like Birmingham in the 2007 playoffs, for example, often some of the criticism and discussions afterwards all too easily morph into becoming a piñata for essentially classism and prejudice towards an entire subgroup and culture of predominantly white working class Londoners and their descendants in the surrounding counties. If it's a middle-aged geezer with a big waistband, tats and a brash cockney accent full of expletives, therefore he must be a bigot. But that was seemingly okay, apparently. Over the years, we've had some great times at Millwall and have so many stories to tell. We've seen promotions, playoff runs, relegations, multiple trips to Wembley, a cup final in Cardiff and the best one of all, the semi-final win at Old Trafford as well as possibly the worst game I've ever seen in my life, an auto-windscreen round two exit to Swindon. Freezing cold evening, a tiny attendance, nil-nil after full time, nil-nil after extra time, and a shootout that ended 1-2 to Swindon. Even the penalty shootout seemed to give up and die. For every action, they say there's a reaction, or an opposite a yin and a yang, etc, etc. So I'd like to talk a little bit about Crystal Palace mugs and my dislike of them. Mill's traditional rivals are of course West Ham mugs. However, growing up where we did and not being from a Mill supporting family, I've always disliked Palace the most. 
They were the nearest team and two of my sisters also started following them due to a mate of my sisters taking them there, which further solidified why I disliked them so much. I knew quite a few Palace fans growing up and there would always be loads of them at Hawley Station on a Saturday when I was heading up to Millwall. I like to think that muggy club has mass delusions of grandeur and a smugness that belongs in the entitlement of an embittered customer complaining about the customer service in a plush branch of Retro's. I love hating Palace. It's fun to me. Sounds odd to say it, but it took me many years to realise that I like the fact that they exist. They are the total antithesis of Millwall. I can hear some smug Palace prick right now saying something like, What? Successful? He he he. But when I see the videos of their supporters, particularly the ones banging drums and dressed all in black, I think, yes, I'm so glad I don't support this club. And I'm so glad that these lot are Palace fans. But that's the sport of football support, right there. The pantomime of it all. Even though I dislike them, I can admit that probably a large amount of what I think about that club is either concocted in my head or just a stereotype. But the truth is, indulging in all of that is fun. Risky fun, but fun. It probably says something about me as a person, but in a way, I think it's healthy to have some sort of reasonable target on the dartboard, so long as the darts are plastic and they're getting thrown back, which in this case, they do. Now, I don't want to insult anyone's intelligence here, but just in case, the darts are a metaphor, not the real thing. I can see why Marcus Aurelius warns against this taking of sides as such. I know and have witnessed what the extremities of what that can be, violence and other nasty behaviour. But if it stays on the level of fun, when both sides are engaged in it, what's the issue? Most Palace fans I've ever met are alright, just like most Millwall fans. They work, they like going to football, have a few beers or whatever, just like I do. They're not the smug, middle-class, self-righteous, identity-lacking, desperate, synthesised, atmosphere-inducing twats that I like to think they are. Though, that was so enjoyable writing that bit, which in itself is smug. But all's fair in love and war, mate. But to me, all that is part of the game. If Palace ceased to exist, it would be a terrible thing. I'd miss the pricks. Perhaps if we were all able to exercise the type of self-control and self-awareness that Marcus advocates for, then there wouldn't be horrible instances of non-fighting fans being picked on or attacked on trains just because they support a team and a mob of bullies wants to throw their weight about. I don't know. As I said at the start, Marcus is probably right in the long run about avoiding tribalism, if that is what he meant. But after a lot of deeper research, I did stumble across another Marcus Aurelius quote which doesn't appear in Meditations, which I believe was written during the campaign against the Kwadi and perhaps bolsters my aforementioned experiences and views. I'll leave you with this little gem. Palace? Palace? Who the fuck are Palace? <laughs> Thank you.
Logotype Poems, Stories and Thoughts By me, Paul Cree Who else?